I want to take a quick sentence, a quick second to uh, give a shout out to my dad, David Taylor. He was 24 years in the Air Force, and anyone sitting here who's served in the military, those watching online who are veterans, thank you so much for your service. Um, yeah, yeah. We have spent the last several weeks journeying through the first half of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and you know, I cannot wait till January where we kick off the, the second part of that series. But what we have in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a wonderful, clear, powerful teaching on what being a Christ follower is all about. In that teaching, Jesus is describing to us in great detail what it looks like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom here now on earth as it is in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is literally the way of life for a believer. It's, and it's not a way of life. It is the way of life. Any, any way of life that deviates from that is not living the life we were created to live. And we know from Jesus' own words in John 10.10 10, that we were created to live the fullest life possible. So the fullest life possible is what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. And we don't have to wait till part two. We don't have to wait till hearing the rest of that sermon to start living our life as citizens of God's kingdom. Because if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, then we have been adopted into God's royal family. We are His children, and we've been given this amazing, just hard-to-fathom privilege of being ambassadors of God and His kingdom to all those around us here on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's, let's just do that, Right? Let's just live that life. Let's, let's stop messing around right now, starting from this moment. We're going to live that life, all right? Easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. I, I think something that happens to us is we tend to, we tend to think we know exactly what we're going to do in life. We tend to be creatures who think we have everything figured out. We've got it all figured out. And then, and then we get into it, and things get messy. It gets difficult. The unexpected arises. We make mistakes. We... We, we go off course. As I was uh, just reflecting on this, I was reminded um, there was a time Lisa and I, before we had kids, we were watching uh, my twin nieces, my older brother, uh, his twin nieces. I think they were about three or four months at the time when we were babysitting them. And they left instructions for us, you know, feed them at this time, nap them, give them a nap at this time, all that stuff. And one of the things was if you, if you find yourself stressed out or needing a break, put them in their bouncy seats in front of the TV and put on these videos. And they were VHS, this is back in VHS tapes days. You may have heard of this before. I don't know if it's still a thing, but they were Baby Einstein videos. Anybody know Baby Einstein? We put these, you know, we were kind of stressed out after a few hours watching these twin girls, and we put these tapes in for them, and they were absolutely mesmerized by these videos. And Lisa and I were absolutely horrified by them. We were like, this is the weirdest, craziest stuff we've ever seen in our lives. It was just random images on the screen. And, and my goodness, and we, we both that day were like, we will never, ever let our kids watch stuff like this when we have kids. Never. Fast forward, I don't know how long, and, and our firstborn, Madison, is probably a month old. And we're calling them up saying, hey, remember those baby Einstein videos? You have any more of those left? Or you still got them? Can we borrow them? And they were amazing things. They helped us raise our kids and kept our sanity, and we're so thankful for them. But that's, that's how we go through life, right? We think we've got it all figured out. We know exactly what we're going to do until the reality sets in, and then we recognize something that we desperately, desperately need help. 
And this is how it is when we're, when we're trying to follow Christ and we're striving to be obedient to him and his word. We think we have it figured out, and then we realize we desperately need help. I, I saw a video. I think it circulated all social media stuff uh, during the lockdown. It was pretty popular. But I think it encapsulates uh, our journey in Christ as believers. So watch the screen for this quick video real quick. That's not a picture of, of our life, right? I think that's why the Bible calls us sheep. You know what, what happens? Jesus pulls out of that, that muck, that mess, and we get out and we're doing good. We're hopping around, we're dancing, living the, the fullest life. And then what happens? We jump right back in the mess. And we repeat it over and over and over again. And, and that's, that's our life as, as Christ followers. And here's something that happens. We have Jesus teaching on Sermon on the Mount with this clear, magnificent guide on what choices to make, on how to think, how to speak, how to, how to resolve conflict, what should be priority in our hearts and minds, how we should interact with others, all these things. It's a step-by-step plan to live life as a Christ follower. We know this, we have access to this, but what happens? What happens again? Life happens. We go off script. We forget. We make mistakes. We let the world influence us. We, we let the allure of happiness steer us away from lasting contentment. Bottom line is this. The point I'm trying to make is this. We need help to live the life that Jesus describes. The life that Jesus describes in, in the Sermon on the Mount is possible here now today for us. We just need help. And it's okay to need help. In fact, God knew that we would need help, and he has a plan in place for that. He has a plan in place for that. We don't just have Jesus' teaching. We have access to a helper from God. The Gospel of John, he records some of the, the greatest conversations that Jesus had with his uh, disciples prior to his arrest and, and crucifixion. And one of these conversations I want to draw your attention to, it's from John 14. We're going to look at a few verses from here. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here we have Jesus explaining that Evidence of, of loving him is obedience to his commandments. And what are Jesus' commandments? It's to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. All right. What does it look like to live that out? It looks exactly like what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, how do we do that? How do we live that out? That's the question. The question, and the, the answer is the only way to do that, the only way to do that is through faith in Jesus Christ and through the help Help of the Holy Spirit. Apart from that, we cannot do it. So we're going to unpack this in a little bit greater depth today, and, and we're going to look at uh, the Apostle Paul's teaching from Galatians 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians 5 right now, but a little bit of background before we dig into the main passage of Scripture for this morning. Paul has written this letter to the Christians in Galatia, and, and we see in, in Paul's words just how passionate he is 
about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how passionate he is about helping his brothers and sisters stay on the path of life that Jesus Christ has for them. Now, the Christians in Galatia, they had, they had received uh, Jesus Christ with just great excitement and great zeal and, and got off to a great start. But what happened? After a time, they started to deviate off course. Specifically for them, they were actually being led astray a little bit by other uh, so-called Christians who were saying, you're not just saved by faith, or grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's not it. You need to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and be circumcised. And so these Galatians had started out, all we need is Jesus, all we need is Jesus, life is, is all we need is Jesus to, all we need is Jesus and then this, all we need is Jesus then that. And then they started to do this stuff. And Paul says, no, 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 what you're doing there is adding to the gospel. And anytime you add to the gospel, it becomes a false gospel. So this is the message of Galatians. And it's really some of Paul's harshest language we see in this letter. But it all culminates, I think, with what Paul writes in Galatians 5.1. Listen to what he says. He says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So in Jesus Christ and the life that he has for us and describes for us, we have a life of freedom. We are, we are at our freest when we are living the life that Jesus has described for us. To live as citizens of the kingdom of, of God on earth as it is in heaven. To turn our backs on Christ then... Or to think we need anything more than that, again, is to submit ourselves to that bondage and oppression of sin and life apart from Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, thankfully, he goes on to tell us what steps that they needed to take and the same steps that we need to take to hold on to our freedom in Christ and not be swayed away by false teaching or by worldly influences. So we're going to look at Galatians 5, 16 through 25. The words will be on screen, but let's go to God in prayer before the reading of His Word this morning. Lord God Almighty, thank You so much for the truth of Your Holy Scriptures. Thank You for um, just how easily we can access them, God, and, and read them and, and engage with them and, and just meditate on them day and night, Lord. Speak to us through the reading of Your Word today, we pray in Your name. Amen. Galatians 5, 16-25 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so, in this passage, Paul describes the, the relationship that we have or can have with the Holy Spirit. He uses language that really paints this picture of, of uh, immense closeness between a believer and the Holy Spirit. He says statements like, uh, walk by the Spirit, or be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. 
We have in the Holy Spirit, the helper that Jesus describes in John 11, John 14, and John 16, a constant companion who goes before us and stays beside us. So I want to talk to you about today about some steps that we can take to nurture our relationship with the Holy Spirit, whom we desperately need as a helper to live the life that Jesus describes for us in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, these steps, it's not that we can draw the Holy Spirit closer to us. The Holy Spirit can't get any closer to us. If we've accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit is literally dwelling in us. What these steps can do instead is, is raise our awareness, open our hearts and minds more fully to the reality that God dwells in us as the Holy Spirit everywhere we go, each and every single day. So the first step is this. And, and none of these steps are, are super profound or deep or crazy or rocket science stuff. This is, this is practical stuff. And for me, it's been uh, just life-changing to try and follow these steps. The first step is this. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Now, I know for some, this may sound like an odd thing. You may have never heard of this before. In fact, this very week, I had a conversation with a gentleman who heard me, who heard me pray to the Holy Spirit and is like, wait a minute. Why, why do you do that? Why not just pray to God? I've had others through the years. Oftentimes when I pray, I'll pray to God, I'll pray to Jesus, I'll pray to the Holy Spirit. And I've had people, when they've heard that prayer, they're like, Wait, why not just praying to God? I want to pause there and just say, we're not going to overthink this today. We're not going to unravel the mysteries of the, of the Trinity today. When we pray, we are praying to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we pray in faith, our prayers are getting to who they need to get to. All right? That's what matters most. So what do I mean then by praying to the Holy Spirit? Let me unpack that a little bit. When Jesus described the Holy Spirit in John, in multiple places he described the Holy Spirit in John, he said that the Holy Spirit would be a helper who would speak truth into our lives. And then we have verses like Romans or Revelation 2.7. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So God makes it clear to us in His Word that there is some communication that takes place between the believer and the Holy Spirit. Now let me, let me make two quick points to drive this main point home even further. Jesus declares in Mark eleven twenty four. listen to what He says. He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Okay? So if Jesus says that by the, the Holy Spirit will be our helper, and Paul implores us to live by the Spirit, and Jesus says that whatever we, we pray for in faith will be answered, then I think we should be praying, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me be a better husband, a better father, a better, a better uh, a co-worker, a better whatever. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. One area of my life I see this most often, I see the impact of this most often, is before I meet with someone or have a meeting. I always pray, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Help me to listen well. Help me know when to speak and when to not speak. I, it's easy to pray that prayer when it's heading into a meeting that's been on the calendar and it's been scheduled. It's a little bit harder to do that when it's kind of an impromptu uh, spur-of-the-moment type thing. But even then, I'll try and quickly whisper a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Help me. And I always, always, always see a difference in how that meeting goes when I pray to the Holy Spirit versus the times I don't because either I didn't have time or I forgot or I was just lazy and didn't do it. I know there are things that I've said in these meetings that they were empowered to me by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helped me say the right thing that without that I would, not have, said the, I would have said the wrong thing. And I've had meetings where I've said the wrong thing. 
Maybe you've met with me before and I've said the wrong thing. It wasn't me. No, it wasn't me without the Holy Spirit. It was me without the Holy Spirit. I think just if Jesus says whatever we pray, if we believe that we received it, it will be yours. And, and Jesus tells the Holy Spirit is our helper. Imagine what kind of answers to those prayers that we might receive if we prayed consistently with the Holy Spirit. All right. The second point to drive that main point home is Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would speak truth into our lives. And Paul, again, he implores us to be led by the Spirit. Listen, we will never hear truths from the Holy Spirit if we never listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what your practice of prayer is like or what you think of when you think of prayer, but I think most, most of us, probably when we pray or think of prayer, we do all the talking, right? We do all the talking. But in a real-life conversation with someone like me and you, if we're talking, I'm going to stop and listen sometimes. If I don't, I'm being rude, right? When we go to God in prayer, when we go to the Holy Spirit in prayer, we need to, we need to stop and listen sometimes. And so I think our prayer can be, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm listening. And then just stop for a few moments and listen. I say, say I'm listening not as a way to let the Holy Spirit know that we're listening, but as a way to remind ourselves, stop and listen and see what the Holy Spirit might have to say to us. I wonder what kind of help we'll get from the Holy Spirit when we start doing that. The kind of help Jesus promised us is what we'll get. So first step, to kind of raise our awareness of of the help we need from the Holy Spirit and the reality that the Holy Spirit is there with us to be our helper is to, is to pray the Holy Spirit. The second step is this. Again, nothing new or profound here. It's to engage with God's Word. Engage with God's Word. I'm intentionally using the word engage here instead of read because I think it's entirely possible to read God's Word and never engage with it. It's entirely possible to read God's Word but never engage with it. To engage with God's Word is to embrace the reality that God's Holy Scriptures are food for our soul. They are spiritual nourishment for us. So let me ask you a question. How many of you go days at a time without eating or drinking? How many of you are going to eat lunch today and then not eat again until Sunday, next Sunday? That's craziness, right? Well, as important as food and water are to our physical well-being, God's Word is that much more important to our spiritual well-being and to our eternity. We need to be engaged in God's Word That means being consistent with God's Word, making it a part of our daily life, not weekly, not occasionally, not as an afterthought or something to check off a to-do list. We need to understand that God's Word is our absolute most important thing that we have to navigate life apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It's a passage of Scripture that's been repeated many times over the last few months here, and I'm so grateful every time I hear it, I'm going to repeat it today. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here's the thing. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be our helper, and one of the ways he'll be our helper is speaking truth into our lives and bringing to remembrance all that Jesus has taught us. How do we know what Jesus has taught us? Through engaging with God's word. All right? And so how, how can the Holy Spirit bring things into remembrance that we haven't engaged with before? Craig says it all the time. I love this saying. He says, God will use the, the word you know, but he can't use the word you don't know. 
So the more word we know, the better off we're going to be, right? The more word we know, the better off we're going to be because then the Holy Spirit can bring to remembrance all those things. Have you ever had that happen before? Have you ever had a, a word of Scripture come to mind, come to your heart in the midst of something? You're like, oh, yes, that's exactly the truth I need in that moment. That's, that's the Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance all that God has taught you through engaging in His Word, through trusting the Holy Spirit to be your helper. You see this connection happening here. Consistent engagement with God's Word raises our awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So does praying to the Holy Spirit. And a final third step I want to call out here is find a spiritual mentor. Find a spiritual mentor. Listen to, to God's Word from Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I think this passage of Scripture, when it talks about meeting together, is describing something like what we're doing here today, but I think it goes much deeper than that. Because it says, not meeting together and, and stirring one another up to, to love and good works. When I, when I hear that phrase, I automatically think of accountability and encouragement, all right? And the smaller the gathering, the more intentional and consistent that accountability and encouragement can be, all right? You're sitting in rows right now. How much accountability and encouragement are you offering to someone right now or giving to someone, maybe after service or between service? Not as much as maybe if you're plugged into a small group. And the smallest gathering that you can get is one-to-one. One-to-one. I want to encourage you to find someone to be a spiritual mentor or be a spiritual mentor to someone. Here's what God will do. Remember, as believers, we all have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit will speak truth to us through other people oftentimes. When I was thinking about this, I instantly thought of my wife. God has used her so many times through the years by the power of the indwelling Spirit in her to speak truth into my life. I recall before I was a pastor here on staff at Crossman's, I was, I was pastoring a small church in the Adirondacks, middle of nowhere, for three and a half years. And it was hard ministry. It was difficult ministry. And there was a, a period there of about a year where I wanted to quit every single Sunday. I got done, and I'm like, I'm done. I can't go on another week doing this. I want to quit. And I was so ready and I was so determined that I, I knew what I would say to the district superintendent. I knew what I would say to the board. I knew what I would say to the congregation. I had a plan figured out. And every time I talked to Lisa, Lisa would say something like, well, do you have, do you have clear peace and clarity from God about this decision? If you do, I support you 100%. And I can never say with certainty, yes, I have clarity from God about this decision. And that was what she did for a year. There was times that aggravated the heck out of me. Like, just agree with me. Just support this because I'm miserable for this year. I don't understand why. God led me through a season of, of realizing that Scripture calls us to suffer for Christ, which is hard. Anyway, that's another sermon. But here's what happened. I didn't quit. I listened to the truth from God through my wife and through others, speaking truth into my life. And that just made a world of difference. Fast forward a year I finally did resign, but it was with absolute clarity that it was time God had released me from that ministry. And let me tell you, that transition went so smoothly, so beautifully, it was just a great time for that church. If I'd done it when I wanted to, it would have been an absolute disaster. But God, through people in my life, spoke truth to me through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in their lives. 
one-to-one discipleship. I can't encourage that enough. I want to share a story that I, uh, I, I was made aware of uh, two weeks ago. Uh, there's a gentleman in our church named Dick Angert. You may know his family, Eric and Tammy Angert, serving kids. And Ethan Angert was a drummer before he went off to college and stuff. But anyway, um, Dick lost his wife, Cam, recently to cancer. I had the unfortunate privilege of, of presiding over the memorial service for her. And uh, two weeks ago, we were sitting in uh, one of the offices down there planning the memorial service. And Dick, uh, with tears in his eyes, shared a story. He, he, he told me about John. And, and John, he goes, to, he goes here. He was in last service. But John has been Dick's disciple through one-to-one discipleship for a year and a half. And the, they had to put it on hold while, while Dick was caring for his wife, and she was sick. And, but he said to me with tears in his eyes, he said, you know, when we first started, John asked me, he said, Dick, will you... Will you text me an encouraging scripture verse every Monday, every Monday morning, because I need that jolt of encouragement before I go to start my work week. And so Dick said, I did that. I was pretty consistent. There was weeks I missed. He said, but for the last two months, John has been texting me every day scripture to encourage me. That's, that's one-to-one connection right there. That's God using someone to speak truth and encouragement into someone's life. A simple text between two guys who connected through that. Enough about one-on-one discipleship. If you want to know more, talk to me about it. Talk to me about it after service. But finding a spiritual mentor is one way, is one way that we can get help from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit uses others to speak truth into others' lives. So pray to the Holy Spirit, engage in God's Word, find a spiritual mentor. Those are three things that we can do to raise our awareness of the truth of the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, let's say you're doing all these things consistently, all right? How can we know if any of this is really working? How can we know if it's working? Well, Paul provides us a way to discern if we are living by the Spirit and walking in step with the Spirit. Essentially, it's evidence of whether or not we are living the life of a disciple of Christ that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. All right, listen again to Paul's words from Galatians 5, 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So here we see that there's this conflict between the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Holy Spirit. We can't get into this as much as we really need to, talking about the nuances of the flesh in relation to circumcision, all that stuff. But let me give you a quick gist of it, all right? Paul declares in Galatians 5, 24, that our old sinful selves, our flesh, has been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. And through the power of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, and and by God's grace and power and, and love for us, we are made new. We are new creations, all right? So raise your hand if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all right? You are a new creation. It's not like that's going to happen when you get to heaven. You're a new creation now. Right? Okay, here's the thing. There's this constant battle, though, that we have with our old selves, which Paul here uses the term flesh to describe. I had a spiritual mentor used to say to me, you'll never get to second base in your spiritual journey if you're always keeping your foot on first base. We can't live two lives. We can't live according to the flesh and according to the spirit because they are opposed to one another. And there's that battle taking place. And Paul, he, he highlights what happens to us if we try to re-inhabit our old selves at the cost of our 
new creation. Listen to what he writes in Galatians 5, 19-21. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That term should sound familiar from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will what? Inherit the earth. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst right. We will inherit the kingdom. If we do these things, if we give into the flesh, we will not. Now, I'm not going to dig into each one of these. It's a long list and we don't have time. And I want to keep it a G-rated sermon. And there's some nasty stuff talked about in this list. But what's clear, what's clear is that the works of the flesh are sin. The works of the flesh are sin. By contrast, Paul describes to us what it looks like to live according to us as a new creation. What are the works of the Spirit? In fact, Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. I love that. Fruit is delicious, sweet, it's healthy, it's refreshing. Think of your most favorite fruit. This is what Paul is trying to draw into mind. Listen to Galatians 5, 22-23. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. To live the life that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount is to live as a citizen of God's kingdom here now on earth as it is in heaven. That kind of life is made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are empowered to live that life now by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in us as our helper who speaks truth into our lives and brings to remembrance all that God has taught us. And I don't think Paul could have made it any clearer. We need the Holy Spirit. And when we are doing that, when we are living that life, these characteristics, this spiritual fruit, these heavenly fruits will blossom and thrive in our lives. All right. Now I want to make something clear as we close, as we wrap up this morning. I want to clarify something. I've only ever known one person, and I've reflected on this a lot lately preparing for the sermon. I've only ever known one person in my entire life who, over a long period of time, consistently displayed thriving fruit, all those things all the time. Every one of those things. There's a guy named Jim Ross. He happened to be the vice chairman at the last church I served at that I wanted to quit every Sunday. Um, he was a Sunday school teacher. He, he, for me, he became a spiritual mentor. And we got to connect a lot, and he would speak truth into my lives in ways no one else ever has. And I, I can look at the fruit of the Spirit, and I, and I see Jim Ross in my mind because for me, every time I interacted with him, and it wasn't faked, it was authentic, every one of those fruits was thriving and ripe in his life. I say that to say, for the vast majority of us Christians, we're never going to, I'm not going to say never, sorry, scratch that, delete that from the sermon. We're going to struggle to have all those fruits be ripe and thriving in our lives especially if we don't rely on the help of the Holy Spirit. It is possible, but we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. For me personally, one of the most obvious indicators that I'm not spending consistent time in prayer and engaged in God's Word is the diminished patience I have in my life, particularly towards my wife and kids. It's just an instant cue. That fruit of patience just shrivels up and gets nasty when I, I'm not being consistent with my time in prayer and God's Word. And, and tapping into my spiritual mentors. So, recap. 
in the Sermon on the Mount, we have a clear description from Jesus Christ as to what it looks like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. All right. In the Holy Spirit, we have constant help to live this life. And in the fruit of the Spirit, we have measures to reveal whether or not we're on the right track or not. Whether we're, we've jumped back into the ditch like that sheep in the video or where we're running happily alongside of them. Take a look at the fruit of Spirit on the screen. Still there, right? Yes. If any of the fruit up there is thriving in your life, celebrate that and praise God for that. And if any of that fruit is, is falling off the vine or is rotten, then you know what? Go to the Holy Spirit for help. Engage with God's Word. It'll tell you how to ripen that thing. And find a spiritual mentor who will speak encouragement and accountability and truth into your lives. The most important, immediate step anyone can take in order for this stuff to become true in your life is to say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus in your life. You don't have to do anything first. There's nothing else to do first. You don't have to change things or adjust your schedule, adjust your life, adjust your relationship. You just say yes to Jesus. Let him in. The rest of us who are already following Jesus, let's look at that fruit of the Spirit. See where we are. See where there's room to grow. And let the Holy Spirit help us. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your patience, for your desire, God, to connect with us so much that you literally moved heaven and earth and brought them together in your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and was raised again. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that dwells in us. Work in us, God. Change us, shape us. And for those here who are watching online who have not yet made a decision for Christ, Christ, don't wait another second. There's no reason to wait. Nothing you find in the world will compare to what you'll find in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that their hearts and minds would open to you and that they would say yes to you. For the rest of us, God, we ask that you help us have an increased awareness of the constant presence and help you, God, is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We love you and give you praise. We pray this in your name.